We do want to bid each one welcome to the monthly meeting of the Sovereign Grace Advent Testimony. These meetings are continuing in an online format. They usually take place in London, but because of the COVID restrictions, that has not been permissible now for uh, some period of time. But we're glad that we can facilitate the meeting in this way, and we do thank you very much for joining with us, and we welcome you uh, this evening in the Saviour's name. It is our prayer the Lord will bless your soul and do your heart good as you join with us as we sing his praises and then as we come around the Word of God as well. Dr. Douglas will be the preacher on this occasion. He's one of the trustees of the Sovereign Grace Advent Testimony and uh, speaks regularly on uh, their behalf at many of these uh, monthly meetings. So we're very glad to have uh, him join with us uh, on this occasion. But before we do that, we're going to sing the Lord's praises and we're going to commence with a hymn, Praise Him, Praise Him, Jesus our blessed Redeemer, sing, O earth, His wonderful love proclaim, Heal Him, heal Him, highest archangels in glory, strength and honour give to His holy name. The words will come up on the screen there for you to join in with and participate in the praise. Thank you. 
going to bow together now in prayer and seek the Lord for his blessing uh, this evening. So let us all unite together around the throne of grace. Our eternal God and our gracious heavenly Father, we turn to thee in the Saviour's name, that name that is above all other names, the name of thy dear Son. And, O Lord, we do rejoice that we can indeed come and praise him as we have been doing so in the words of this opening praise. And, Lord, this night we come to render to thee that which is indeed due to thy great and holy name. For thou art a great God and worthy to be praised. And this evening we do thank thee that there is a way into thy presence, that we can come through the rent veil entering into thy courts. Thank thee for the blood of sprinkling, that blood that speaketh better things than that of Abel's. Abel's cried for vengeance and recompense. We thank thee the blood of Christ speaks peace and pardon on our behalf. And we plead that merit this night and look to thee, O Lord, for fresh cleansing as we come before thee. We know that we need clean hands and a pure heart. And we pray that thou would grant that to us as we draw nigh to thee. And bless our time uh, together and particularly around the word of God. Lord, we're looking to thee that thou will come. And take of the things of thyself this night. Give to thy servant extraordinary help. Give him the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. And do him afresh, we ask. And as he will minister the word of God, may he do it as a man whom the Lord has spoken to. That he might speak then in living echoes of thy tone. Oh, come and draw near to us, we pray. And grant a blessing to each one of us, wherever we might be uh, this evening in various places. Lord, whether listening live now or those who may listen and watch at another time, we do pray that thou will be pleased to take thy truth and bless it. Make it a sanctifying word to our hearts. O Lord, not only may we uh, have our knowledge increased in the things of God, but we pray that uh, the things of God will be applied to our heart and soul and that we'll live out that which we hear. May we live in the light of thy return and in what the word of God has to say about these things. Lord, have mercy. We do remember the needs that there are across the face of the earth, among the people of God and individuals, even in the land of Israel. Lord, we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We remember that promise that they they shall prosper that love thee. And Lord, we pray for that land and even all the turmoil that has been there in recent times. We pray, Lord, that thou would be gracious Save a people, save that remnant of which the scripture speaks of, a remnant according to the election of grace. So, Lord, do bless tonight and tarry with us now as we continue on before thee. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to turn to the scriptures and read the word of God at this particular time. And we're going to read from Hosea chapter 14, the very last chapter of the prophecy of Hosea. And if you have a copy of the Word of God to hand, you can turn up that portion and we'll read these verses through beginning from verse 1. Hosea chapter 14, reading from verse 1. O Israel, return unto the Lord thy God, for thou hast fallen by thine iniquity. Take with you words and turn to the Lord. Say unto him, Take away all iniquity and receive us graciously. So will we render the calves of our lips. I sure shall not save us. We will not ride upon horses. Neither will we say any more to the work of our hands. Ye are our gods, for in thee the fatherless findeth mercy. I will heal their backsliding. 
I will love them freely, for mine anger is turned away from him. I will be as a Jew unto Israel. He shall grow as the lily and cast forth his roots as Lebanon. His branches shall spread and his beauty shall be as the olive tree and his smell as Lebanon. They that dwell under his shadow shall return. They shall revive as the corn and grow as the vine. The scent thereof shall be as the wine of Lebanon. Ephraim shall say, What have I to do any more with idols? I have heard him and observed him. I am like a green fir tree. From me is thy fruit found. Who is wise, and he shall understand these things, prudent, and he shall know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the just shall walk in them. But the transgressors shall fall therein. Amen. We know the Lord will add his own blessing to the reading of his word to all of our hearts for his name's sake. Can I just renew the welcome to you? And thank you very much for joining with us this evening. And wherever you are tuning in from, uh, here in the United Kingdom or further afield across the face of the earth, uh, whether live or at some other time you're listening in to uh, this particular broadcast, then we do welcome you. We thank you very much for joining with us. And it is our prayer that the Lord will bless your soul. And as the things of God are preached, particularly around the coming again of the Saviour, and what the testimony of the prophets is, that your soul will indeed be blessed. That is the theme for these current series of meetings. That was the the theme last year and continues on into this year as well. What is the testimony of the prophets in regard to the second coming of the Lord? And there have been meetings, and you can log on to the website of the Sovereign Grace Advent Testimony, sgat.org, and you will be able there to locate those messages that have been preached already in this series uh, by various men who have taken up one of these prophets out of the Old Testament and have sought to set before you what it is the Scripture has to say with regards to the second coming of the Lord Jesus. So we do thank you very much uh, for uh, joining with us. And the meetings will be continuing in this format for uh, the next little while. And uh, we'll be making announcements in due course if there are any changes to these arrangements uh, on our uh, website or on the Facebook page. So again, if you uh, log in to any of those um, sources, then you will be able to find uh, more details. Now, the next meeting uh, will be on Friday the 25th of June at 7pm. And the preacher on that occasion will be the Reverend Gordon Dean, minister in Crossgar Free Presbyterian Church. And he's going to be speaking on the subject, the testimony of Amos. So do remember that. That's the 25th of June. And keep that in mind and pray for it. The current the current Watching and Waiting magazine is available. Uh, so if you do subscribe to that, then look out for that. If you're interested in receiving that, uh, then there will be details as well that will uh, come up on the screen either now or at the end of the broadcast. And you'll be able to contact the, the secretary and you'll be able to order a copy if you'd be interested in subscribing uh, to that quarterly uh, magazine. It's well worth subscribing to. And there are excellent articles in it. Dr. Douglas has an article uh, in the current one. It's dealing with the Arva, uh, that region in Israel. And uh, I've already uh, read it and thoroughly been blessed myself through it. And uh, you can 
have that read added as well and other articles that are also uh, available there. Uh, you'll find a whole list of our publications on uh, the website, so uh, do tune in there and you can order through the website as well and uh, any material that you want will be sent to you in uh, due course. We do uh, have a little booklet printed some uh, time ago. It's called Israel and the Nations, and it's the Word of God as revealed in the Minor Prophets in regard to uh, the second coming of the Lord. And uh, we're into the Minor Prophets now at this particular time with Dr. Douglas taking up the prophecy of Hosea and the Reverend Dean next month taking up the prophecy of Amos. So if you haven't got that uh, booklet, then that's certainly one that is available on uh, the website and you can uh, look out for it there. It's called Israel and the Nations. And it was a series of messages that uh, were preached uh, a few years ago, uh, again at the monthly meetings. So you can look out for that uh, as well. And just one other publication there that we'll, we'll mention. It's by the Reverend Ivan Foster. Where are we in God's calendar? And it's been put together uh, recently. It's an article that he has written and it's been published. So again, that's available also if you are interested in uh, obtaining that. Again, you'll find all of those details uh, on the website. I think we're going to come to another hymn at this particular time. It's the words all, join all the glorious names of wisdom, love and power that mortals ever knew, that angels ever bore. All are too mean to speak his worth, too mean to set my Saviour forth. And we want to exalt the name of our dear Saviour. And certainly speaking about his second coming exalts his name. For he's coming in power and great glory as we know. His days of humiliation are over and he's coming as the exalted saviour. And what more glorious thing to think about in that regard than his second coming. And we're certainly going to be hearing about that this evening. Uh, Just after the singing of this hymn, Dr. Douglas is going to bring the word of God. We do welcome him again. We thank him very much for ministering the word of God and we pray the Lord indeed will help him richly as he will minister the truth of God. And this evening. And as we're singing, these words will come up again on the screen for you to join in with.
Let's all turn to the Word of God. We're going to read from Hosea chapter 3. Now the subject at this time is the testimony of Hosea the prophet. We're reading then at this third chapter of his prophecy from verse 4. For the children of Israel shall abide many days without a king and without a prince and without a sacrifice, and without an image, and without an ephod, and without teraphim. Afterward shall the children of Israel return, and seek the Lord their God, and David their king, and shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. These are wonderful words. They're full of instruction. Full of promise, full of joyous expectation. We need the help of the Lord, and we're assured of that help as we turn to him in prayer. Let us all pray. Lord, look upon us today. Hear our cry. Minister to our hearts. Open up the scriptures. Thou who didst move the psalmist to pray in days of old, Open thy mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Lord, our need is even greater, we feel, in these days, for light from heaven. May the Holy Spirit interpret to us the things of Christ, and grant that that word may come to us with freshness, with conviction, with assurance, that the Lord has spoken. Glorify thy name among us, and grant today that the word of God may run, and a free course, and be glorified. To this end, grant the infilling of the Holy Spirit of God with wisdom and grace and power. Hear our cry in Jesus' name. Amen. This book of Hosea is given the high honour of being first among the twelve 
on as the minor prophets. It will hardly be necessary for me to explain that these 12 books are called minor only because they're shorter than the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. So in no sense are the contents of the book of Hosea or the contents of the 12 uh, minor prophets for that matter of less weight or of less importance than the rest of Scripture. Remember that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and therefore all the books of the Bible are equally inspired. These 12 books then that we call the minor prophets are certainly not minor as to their message. Well, let's think about Hosea. Hosea is blessed with a very fitting name, a name that means salvation. And we can see the illustration of that salvation in Hosea 1 and verse 7. But I will have mercy upon the house of Judah, the Lord is saying, and will save them by the Lord their God, and will not save them by bow, nor by sword, nor by battle, by, by, by horses, nor by horsemen. Here's a salvation that's entirely wrought of God. It's God's own work. God's work exclusively. There are times when in Scripture the Lord used natural forces in order to accomplish his purpose. And this happens more than one time in the Bible. But it's also right to say there are those occasions also in the past and undoubtedly in the future when God will lay aside all natural resources. And he's saying here in this verse 7 uh, to the people to whom uh, Hosea ministered, he's saying the Lord will save Judah. He will not save them, at least on this occasion. He will not save them by bow, nor by sword, nor by battle, by horses, nor by horsemen. This is a salvation wrought out by God. It's by God's grace that these people are saved and on the ground of redemption. Just as we can say today, we're saved by grace on the ground of the finished work of Christ, accomplished on the cross of Calvary for us. This is a finished work. And we must just take a little time here to say that it is pointed out in the verse that this is a salvation wrought of God, and that means uh, the people concerned cannot obtain that salvation by their own effort, by their own resources. The Lord is saying quite distinctly, this salvation will be brought to them not by bow, not by sword, not by the battle, and so on. But this is a salvation wrought out by the hand of God himself. It's God's own work. It's important to establish that. Now, the name Hosea springs from the same Hebrew origin as the name Joshua, indeed the name of our Saviour, the Lord Jesus. The name Jesus 
is taken from this same Hebrew verb, Yasha, meaning he will save. We must think of Isaiah as well. Isaiah is a contemporary of Hosea, along with Micah and Amos, and I take Jonah also to be a contemporary with them. But uh, Isaiah has a name, very precious in meaning, the salvation of the Lord, the salvation of Jehovah. Let me say that Isaiah uh, stands out in Scripture. He's the first of the major prophets, given the order of these books in the Bible. Isaiah stands out with this name of highest honour, the salvation of the Lord. Then when we come to Hosea, Hosea also is first. He's first among the minor prophets. And there again we flag up his name, which means salvation. I think that's a striking point. The two prominent sections of the Old Testament, the major prophets and the minor prophets, and the first book in each case, bears the name of a prophet, a name that means salvation, the salvation of the Lord. So these men preach Christ, preach salvation, Hosea and Isaiah, by their names as well as by their word. And Hosea is blessed of God not only by his precious name, but also on account of his longevity, length of days. Uh, look again at Hosea chapter 1 verse 1. Four kings are mentioned, if I may talk about them. Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, kings of Judah. These men sat on the throne of David. If we total up the combined number of years occupied by their reigns, we would come to 113. The total amount of time taken up by the reigns of Uzziah, Ahaz, Jotham, Hezekiah is 113 years. And Hosea ministered through part of that time, a very significant part of it. We may say then, reasonably, Hosea ministered for 60 or 70 years, or maybe even longer, given the length of time his ministry extended uh, from some of the reign of Uzziah right through to some of the years during the days of good king Hezekiah. Another king is mentioned here in verse 1. We mustn't leave him out. He's Jeroboam II, and he belongs to the dynasty of Jehu. He's the third, uh, he belongs to the third period in that dynasty. He's a grandson of uh, King Jehu. And 2 Kings 14 reveals that Jeroboam II is the last of the kings of Israel to whom the Lord shows the reserves of his mercy. That's a notable fact. There's like six other kings follow after Jeroboam II. And these men, all six of them, live in terrible times. Four out of the six are murdered. The country so unstable. It's in a chaotic state. And the time remaining, if we calculate again, 
the time during which these six kings reign, we come to just a little over 40 years. And 40 is the number of probation. Here is a time then when opportunity is fading, when the door of mercy is closing. The last is, in fact, of the northern kingdom of Israel. Hosea preached through those last days. The last days of the northern kingdom. Then he also preaches by means of the prophetical witness. He also preaches of the last days. Even future to us. Those last days are mentioned in Hosea chapter 3. We read about them. Now afterward shall the children of Israel return. They're going to come back. They're going to come back to the land. They're going to come back to God and to his precious word. They will seek the Lord their God. They will seek him to be their God. And David their king. They shall fear the Lord and his goodness. When? In the latter days. We refer to the time of our Lord's return. When the Lord returns to set up his kingdom. When he reigns on that throne. Then all these things will find fulfilment. Hosea then preached for the last days of his own lifetime and for the last days that are away beyond us even, way out into the future, the last days of the end, time itself. It's interesting to note that when the northern kingdom uh, collapsed, and the people were rooted up out of the land and carried away into captivity. That we enter into a period described in Hosea 3 and verse 4 as the many days. When that transportation of the people occurs. When the enemy comes in like a flood. The kingdom is destroyed. The children of Israel are transported to the regions of Assyria. They begin this period described in verse 4 of chapter 3, the many days, many days without a king, without a prince, without a sacrifice, without an image. Even to this day, these words apply in Israel, but the nation continues still without a king, without a prince, without a sacrifice, and without an image. Now those times of Jeroboam, and particularly the six kings who follow after him, are to be described rightly as terrible times. For their history, we need to go to Second Kings, Second Kings chapter 17. The whole chapter is relevant here, but I'm going to take excerpts from the middle of the chapter, 2 Kings 17. If you can turn up the passage, remember this is the background to Hosea's prophecy. Hosea lived during this period. He lived in these treacherous times. And in, in verse 8 of the chapter, Second Kings 17, the people then in that northern kingdom walked in the statutes of the heathen. 
Note that it just doesn't only say here they walked in the ways of the heathen. They did walk in the ways of the heathen. It doesn't just say they walked in such a fashion as to pay tribute to the gods of the heathen and worship the gods of the heathen. They did worship the gods of the heathen. But these words go further. They walked in the statutes. The statutes of the heathen became law in Israel. And by installing the statutes of the heathen in their country, they rejected God's statutes. Please glance at verse 15. They rejected his statutes. The law of God is set aside, ignored, trampled on. But the statutes of the heathen are set up and established. We have to think of our times too, these times in which we live, when the statutes of the heathen are set up. These statutes become law in the land, and the law of God is despised and rejected. I must hurry through this passage you can read it later, and I want you to read it prayerfully. They walked in the statutes of the heathen, whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel, and of the kings of Israel, which they had made. And the children of Israel did secretly those things which were not right against the Lord their God. The practice began in secret, and then came brazenly out into the open for all to see. They set up images and groves in every high hill, and under every green tree they burnt incense, verse 11, in all the high places, as did the heathen, whom the Lord carried away before them, and wrought wicked things to provoke the Lord to anger. For they served idols, whereof the Lord had said unto them, Ye shall not do this thing. The Lord testified against Israel, and against Judah, by all the prophets and all the seers, he commanded them to turn from their evil ways, notwithstanding, verse 14, they would not hear, but hardened their necks, like to the neck of their fathers, and they did not believe in the Lord their God. They rejected his statutes. I think a little time should be given to this verse 15. Where we have a list of the transgressions of the day. They rejected his statutes and his covenant that he had made with their fathers and his testimonies which he testified against them. And they followed vanity and became vain and went after the heathen that were round about them concerning whom the Lord had charged them that they should not do like them, notice verse 16, they left all the commandments of the Lord their God. It's terrible to read in verse 17, they caused their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire, and used divination and enchantments, and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. We read these things. What must have it have been for Hosea to live through such a time? Verse 18, the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them out of his sight 
There was none left but the tribe of Judah only. You will notice uh, verse 23 there, until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight, as he had said. So God's word foretold the demise of the northern kingdom. God's word foretold the destruction of that kingdom. And then, as it came to be fulfilled, people were able to say, it's just as the Lord had said. That was the standard of interpretation for the prophecies back then. In those days of history, it should be the same standard now. Regarding future prophecies, we take them just as literally. It is done as he had said by all his servants, the prophets. God honoured his word. That's a disturbing picture. A picture of those days in which Hosea ministered. And to show you that, yes, it's the backdrop. Turn to Hosea chapter 4. It's the backdrop to these prophecies in Hosea. i just read a small part of this chapter. Hosea chapter 4. Hear the word of the Lord, ye children of Israel. For the Lord hath a controversy with the inhabitants of Israel. Because there's no truth, nor mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. How dreadful to read these words. By swearing and lying and killing and stealing and committing adultery, they break out. They break through every barrier of restraint. Blood touches blood. Words here in the plural. Bloods. Touching bloods. Such is the violence of the time. Murder becomes a common thing. And the land itself is affected. You talk about... Um, Climate concern, global warming, well, we have the earth rebelling against man's sinfulness. Therefore shall the land mourn. Everyone that dwelleth therein shall languish with the beasts of the field and the fowls of heaven. Yea, the fishes of the sea also shall be taken away. God's hand in severe chastisement falls upon the nations of the earth. Because of sin, we have these pictures presented to us so vividly in the Word of God. We can't ignore them. Let's think about the prophecy now in uh, Hosea. And we'll turn to Hosea chapter 1. We read here of uh, Gomer and her children. Now, I'm not persuaded that this arrangement with Gomer is part of the actual history of Hosea. I don't see it being part of his experience in reality. I see the passage as an analogy, an enactment, the sort one can have in a dream or in a vision. It's set out like a parable. Moreover, I find Hosea spoken off in the third person here. The word of the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take thee a wife. So, verse 3, he went and took. It doesn't say, I went. That would have been the normal way of saying it. God commanded me to go there. I went. 
God commanded me to do so. I did it. We, we use the personal pronoun I. But for him to be speaking in the third person seems to give a kind of detachment to the episode we have here, whereby it is something for us to view as a figure shown in Scripture. When God speaks to a man and he says, go there, do that, that man can say, yes, I went there, I did it. But it is remarkable that this episode should be in the third person. Now, that may not prove the point that I'm trying to make, but at least it has the effect of setting aside the incident that is described here as if it were detached from the chapter in itself. Thus, we say here uh, about uh, Gomer, I do not see that God would command a prophet to do that which is contrary to his law, as would be the case if this took place in actuality. How could Hosea preach against a sordid lifestyle if he gave the impression that he lived that way himself? The brethren who take the view that this is an actual episode in Hosea's life uh, are wont to insert the assumption of their own into the narrative, namely that Gomer was good to begin with and then later fell away into shameful conduct. But the chapter doesn't say that. I think it's important to notice that Gomer is a woman without a recognised family history in this chapter. To me, that's a telling point. We, we expect her father, if he's named, to have a family identity. It's a normal thing when we read of some person in Scripture being introduced to us, say it was here, the father of Gomer. If he belonged to Shechem, if he belonged to Samaria, if he belonged to Shiloh, that then Hosea took Gomer, the daughter of Joash of Shechem, to be his wife. Or Hosea took Gomer, the daughter of Joash, of Samaria to be his wife, and so on. But it doesn't say that at all. The name Diblaim appears nowhere in Scripture, nowhere else apart from this, in Scripture as being the name of a person. And I feel that that in itself is an indication, a very telling point to show that um, we're looking at a mere enactment, an analogy, because the intention is that this event should be a warning, a shocking illustration, certainly a warning to the whole nation concerning their sin and their shame. That's the intention that the Lord has in introducing this incident here into the narrative. Let's come to the prophecies, the prophecies themselves. What prophecies should we examine in Hosea? 
I want you to turn to Hosea chapter 1. Look with me, if you will, at verses 10 and 11. And we're going to add to that Hosea 2 and verse 1. It's in there, chapter 2, verse 1, that the command is given to the prophet. Say unto your brethren, Ami, and to your sisters, Rukhamah. The negative has gone, indicated by the little word, Lo. Lo, Ami, is not my people. Lo, Rukhamah, is, have no, they'll have no mercy. From God, but now the low is gone because we're looking at that time when prophecy finds fulfillment. Ah, oh, to a wonderful extent, every letter being important, every word, every syllable of what God has said. You read these words here. This is applicable to the time when the veil of blindness is lifted. And the branch that was broken off is grafted in. And the Redeemer has come to Zion to turn away all ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them. This is quoted in Romans 11 and verse 26. This is my covenant with them. The scripture saying, when I take away their sins. It doesn't say, this is my covenant with you, referring to the Gentiles, although this covenant does extend true enough to the Gentiles, to the whole church of Christ redeemed, born of the Spirit, brought into the family and fold of God. Yes, they're all partakers of this covenant, but this covenant initially, this covenant essentially is made with them. This is my covenant with them, the verse is saying. When I take away their sins, that's God's purpose. And that purpose is going to shine through when we examine these prophecies in the book of Hosea. Can we take the detail then in chapter 1 verse 10? The restoration of Israel consists of a, a multitudinous host. A multitudinous host. In Israel, who will turn unto the Lord? Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured nor numbered. This is tremendous. We have never seen the like. It has not occurred in biblical history. It hasn't occurred even from our standpoint in time. Nothing like this has ever taken place. Somebody says, oh, there was a return from captivity in the days of Israel and Nehemiah. True enough. But those who came back under the influence of Israel and Nehemiah to the land of promise were numbered. They didn't make up such an incredible host that no man could number them. They were numbered. And it was the lament of those in authority, even at that time, that they were few in number. So, looking back then to the days of Ezra and Nehemiah, although we rejoice for the return that did take place, yet that return itself 
even if it had a certain glory attached to it, is nothing compared to what is foreseen here. For their number will be as the sand of the sea. The multitude cannot be numbered. And as the sand of the sea can't be measured. So God speaks of the fullness of this work that he shall perform on behalf of his ancient people. Look at this with me, if you will, in the second place. Not only the multitude who will come to the Lord at the time of their redemption, but also the place it shall be said to them, it says here, in the place where it was said unto them, ye are not my people. What place was that? A chastisement of God's judgment fell upon Israel while they were in the land of Israel. And in that place, the land of Israel, it shall be said again to them, ye are the children of the living God. They're brought back into fellowship. They're born of God. They're now received into God's own family. This is a marvellous thing altogether. We've never seen the like of it. They shall come up, it says, under one head. And that expression there, to come up, is so often used of coming from the lands of the heathen into the land of promise, coming to Jerusalem indeed, coming up, and they're coming up under one head. They come together as one people, one family. That's another point about the fulfilment of this prophecy. For never at any time, I do believe this, never at any time do we see Israel as a totally united people, not even in the days of Moses. We read there in uh, the book of Deuteronomy, I don't know if we can put this in, but uh, we would like to include certainly what Moses has said in Deuteronomy 31. And he's saying here when he's writing in this whole touching chapter in the book, he's saying here, I know, this is verse 27, Deuteronomy 31, for I know thy rebellion and thy stiff neck. Behold, while I am yet alive with you this day, ye have been rebellious against the Lord, and how much more after my death? So this is maybe an astonishing thing for many, whether they're Jews or whether they're Gentiles, to find that in the days of Moses, Moses himself is heartbroken with the strife he has to suffer, with the disunity he has to face. And even then, he's complaining, Israel is not a united people, far from it. You've been rebellious all the while I've been with you and much more after my death. Later in verse 29, by revelation from God, he's saying, I know that after my death, you will utterly corrupt yourselves and turn aside from the way which I have commanded you. And evil will befall you, particularly in the last days, this verse says, because you will do evil in the sight of the Lord, to provoke him to anger through the work of your hands. What a statement this is. It entitles me to say authoritatively, there never was a time when Israel came together, and that's the word that's used here in Hosea 
chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. They will all come together to the land of promise. They'll come up from the earth to the land under one head whom they have appointed for the first time. I'm entitled to say in their history that unison has been achieved in the families of Israel. A day has been fixed. You can see there in verse 11 how definite that is for the fulfillment of God's purpose here. For great shall be the day of Jezreel. There is a day that's fixed immovably into the calendar of God in heaven. There will be a day for the fulfillment of this prophecy. It's going to be fulfilled then with gladness, with joy, with celebration. Because it's a great day, the scripture says. I find these scriptures most affecting to look at them. The message is so clear and unequivocal. Oh, may the Lord write his word into our hearts, even at this time. You can see again the certainty. Oh, we must, we must stress this. Because some of the Lord's people put a question mark over the fulfillment of these prophetic scriptures. They don't question the word of God, for they are believers. But they believe that the prophetic word has to be interpreted spiritually at the expense of setting aside the literal meaning. We're not entitled to do that. This word has given a solid guarantee by the Lord himself that what he says will be fulfilled. We have read already from Second Kings, didn't we? Of how when the Lord fulfilled all that he had said about the chastisement of the northern kingdom and particularly spoke about their transportation into the lands of the heathen, that this took place exactly as the Lord had said. Now we can say with equal force, looking into the future, no matter how amazing the vision that we have of the fulfillment of that prophetic word is, we can say, God has established it. It will take place exactly as he says. Now, give particular attention, if you will. Nearly in the middle of verse 10, you shall see the words, It shall come to pass. There we have a statement made by the Lord. We're not entitled to question it. We're not entitled to say, will this word actually be fulfilled? Will these things that we find incredible actually occur? The Lord answers our doubts. The Lord is saying here, and it shall come to pass. There's another thing that you must not miss. Look at uh, the second line in verse 10. I hope it is, is the second line in your uh, verse as you look at it too. Israel shall be as the sand of the sea. Now those words translated shall be, again speak of certainty. There's no question, but God will do what he says. It shall be the case. Now let me go further and say, the words that are translated, it shall come to pass. Or here, in verse 10, also translated as shall be. So you're entitled 
to read verse 10 in this fashion. Yet the number of the children of Israel, it shall come to pass, will be as the sand of the sea. Perhaps a little bit cumbersome in terms of uh, the niceties of the language. But I say this and put it this way to show you that it's exactly the same kind of statement that's made. That it shall come to pass. So I'm entitled to say, those words, it shall come to pass, lend their force to two different points in verse 10. First of all, it shall come to pass. What shall we say of this statement? It shall come to pass, first of all. Why, it refers to the number of the children of Israel returning with uh, gladness, the gladness of heart that belongs to the forgiven soul. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall, may we add the words most certainly, because the equivalent to them is, it shall come to pass, the number of the children of Israel most certainly shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured nor numbered. That's one point of absolute certainty that must not be questioned because God has said it with such strong words of affirmation. And the second it shall come to pass in verse 10 is that in the place where it was said to them, Lo, O me, you're rejected of God. The Lord has rejected you because you have rejected his word. In that place, it shall come to pass that it shall be said unto them, Ye are the sons of the living God. There's a double affirmation there. I want you to look then at um, a further statement here in, in chapter 2. It must come down to verse 14. And uh, there the Lord will speak comfortably unto her. In the way of this glorious work of restoration, the Lord will renew fellowship with Israel. As I said, the branch that has been broken off will be grafted in again. The veil of blindness is lifted. The Redeemer has come and he will speak comfortably. Fellowship is restored. The margin may say, certainly the Hebrew text does say, he will speak to her heart. It reminds me of Lydia, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended to the things that were spoken of Paul. And in this case, it will be said of Israel, their heart has been opened by the Lord, that they may attend to the things that are spoken by the Lord. You will notice again how there is a change in um, their relationship in regard to the covenant. Verse 18, in that day I will make a covenant for them. This covenant is made with the beasts of the field. There is a universal peace among the nations, that's said here. For the Lord will break the bow and the sword and the battle out of the earth. There's universal peace. The nature of creation will change. Animals will also change in their conduct. As Isaiah shows so clearly, the lion may lie down with the lamb. Yes, nature will change. 
and heaven and earth are brought into fellowship. It says there, and I know time is running away from me, but it does say there that it shall come to pass on that day, in verse 21, notice again the words, it shall come to pass. Uh, we have the same kind of thing in verse 16, it shall be in that day, saith the Lord. So when it comes to looking at the fulfillment of this passage of Scripture, we have the same kind of uh, double affirmation in chapter 2 that we had in chapter 1. It shall be, it shall come to pass, it shall be accomplished in that day. It's as certain as words can make it. And there, coming back to um, Verse 21, the Lord says, I will hear the heavens and they shall hear the earth. Heaven and earth come together. And the Lord Jesus Christ reigns upon this earth. Heaven and earth are no longer apart, no longer separated as they are in some sense today. We can't see into heaven. Heaven is up there beyond the horizon of our vision. But in that day, I believe we can see into glory. We can see how God has brought heaven and earth together. And instead of heaven being the far off place that it is to multitudes, heaven is brought down to earth in the form of the city four square. Heaven and earth are now uh, enjoying a blessed oneness in fellowship with the Lord. This is an incredible passage of scripture. It's a wonderful portion. The Lord has spoken to our hearts today. And we can see the terms of that unification with Israel in the three times uh, that the word betrothed appears in verse 19. I will betroth thee unto me. This is a statement of intent. In the case of marriage, where the word is normally used, it indicates that a vow is now in force whereby this marriage arrangement will never be annulled. And that's the force of the passage here. I will betroth thee, God says to Israel. I will betroth thee unto me. First of all, verse 19, forever. Now that's a marvellous feature of this betrothal. Secondly, I will betroth thee unto me in righteousness. And that is equally marvellous. And thirdly, Verse 20, I will even betroth thee unto me in faithfulness. This is reference to their um, relationship with the word of God. Thou shalt know the Lord. Through that word, through that revelation, they have a newness of faith. This is their spiritual realm whereby they learn to walk with God. This betrothal is Wonderful to behold, with a threefold guarantee given to it. And um, it explains, I believe, that thought-provoking and marvellous statement in verse 16. It shall be in that day, saith the Lord, thou shalt call me a she, thou shalt call me no more Ali. Ali meaning my master. Israel doesn't see Lord as the, the Lord as they should, as the loving Saviour and their Redeemer. 
But on that day they will. They see him as a she, my man. Our Lord Jesus Christ is revealed here. He is to us a she, my man, the man at God's right hand. Oh, at one time, the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. The man of Calvary. The man who today is at God's right hand in the place of victory and glory and power is a wonderful thing. Is she? He's that man, Christ Jesus. One mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Many of the Jewish people um, make a special point about this, arguing with a, nearly a fierceness, certainly with strong insistence. God is not a man. They're, they're, they're trying to show that God is a spirit. And uh, in so doing, they say, God is not a man. And there's nothing in the Bible to show that he ever will become God. Uh, God will ever become man. Nothing in the Bible to show that. We look here. Oh, there are other places as well. But we just take this passage on board. I shall call me a she, my man. I believe we have a hint here of the coming incarnation of the Lord. God became flesh, dwelt amongst men, was seen of angels. He's justified in the spirit. He's declared to be God in the majesty of his glory. Is she my man? Can we turn to chapter 3? And look there at the words in verse 4. The children of Israel shall abide many days without a king. I've said already, that's their current state. Without a king, without a prince, without a, a sacrifice, and without an image. But the day's coming on apace when there will be a marvellous transformation, and they shall come back. They shall return. They shall come back to the Lord, back to the book, back to the land, to seek the Lord their God and David their king. They shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. They shall enjoy his goodness. They shall openly enjoy his goodness. They shall richly enjoy his goodness. They shall forever enjoy his goodness in the latter days. This is a word that is then certain of fulfillment. I think I must close by making reference to the 14th chapter of the book of Hosea. There are three parts to this prophecy, chapters 1 to 3 go together, where we have the narrative of Gomer and her children and also the promises of restoration. Then from chapter 4 right through to 13, the degradation, the shameful sin of the nation departing from God. And occasionally there are glimmerings of sunshine where the Lord shows the promise of his mercy. But finally in chapter 14, we have a chapter, oh, heartwarming, uplifting, compassionate in its content. It falls into three parts. First of all, verse 2, you have the words of the Lord bringing the penitents back to himself. 
You have the welcome of the Lord in verse 4. I will heal their backsliding. Verse 4 through to verse 8. And finally in verse 9. The ways of the Lord. The ways of the Lord are right. This is a marvellous, memorable conclusion to the prophecy. And it holds out uh, the mercy of God for the repentant sinner, for the backslider, who'll come back into fellowship with the Lord. You can take words today and say, Lord, receive me, receive me with all my sins and take uh, me into thy, thine arms of love. Take away all iniquity, receive us graciously, and we will remember, remember, will re render the calves of our lips. We will render the calves of our lips. We will return in thanksgiving to thee the praise of your name for all the wonders of your love. Jeremiah speaks of Hosea's time. He speaks of a time when Ephraim will come to repentance. In Jeremiah 31, we read verse 18, I have surely heard Ephraim bemoaning himself. This is what we want to say here. I have surely heard Ephraim bemoaning himself thus. And he goes on to pray, Turn thou me, and I shall be turned. For thou art the Lord my God. Surely after that I was turned, I repented. And Ephraim's repentance, her reconciliation to God, is foreseen here. In verse 20, is Ephraim my dear son? Is he precious? Is he precious to me? Is he a pleasant child? For since I speak against him, when did the Lord speak against him? Where did the Lord speak against him? In the book of Hosea, among other places in the Bible, the Lord spoke against his sin and his shame. But here the Lord is saying, since I speak against him, I do earnestly remember him still. Therefore my bowels are troubled for him. I will surely have mercy upon him. Set thee up waymarks that there be a signpost pointing in the direction of Zion. And also heaps, high heaps. These are mounds of stone or great pillars through the country. The signpost is seen from, oh, only a few feet away. We can read the details brought to our notice there. And then... The, um, the high mound that is made, these high heaps that are made are seen from afar off, marking the way back to God. That seems to be a literal reference to the way being opened up for Israel and the children of Israel from all parts of the earth to get back to the land of promise. But isn't there a picture of the gospel too, how God has signposted the way to glory? And for the man who inquires, who wants to find the way of life, it's there. That way is made as plain as day in the Bible. I trust today, if you're not a Christian, if you're not yet a believer, you will come this day to know the Saviour. You will say with gladness, I have sought the Lord. He has answered me. He has heard my cry. 
the Lord has promised to hear us and he has promised this to Israel too. There's a parallel passage to what Hosea says of Israel's return, restoration. In uh, Isaiah 58 and verse 9, Then shalt thou call, and the Lord shall answer. He'll make a response. That's just the same kind of thing as we have in Hosea chapter 2. The Lord will answer. He will make an answer of uh, a very uh, recognized kind. He'll answer thee. Oftentimes it means to answer by a voice. The Lord shall answer. Thou shalt cry. Isaiah 58 verse 9 says, Thou shalt cry and he shall say, Here I am. I'm here alongside. I'm here instantly. I'm here to help. I'm here to bring compassion. I'm here to bring comfort. I'm here for you. It's a marvellous promise. Before they call. Isaiah 65, 24. That's an equivalent passage. Before they call, I will answer. While they're yet speaking, I will hear. You see, Jeremiah lived about 150 or 160 years after Hosea. And he passes through a like experience for just as Hosea saw, and he must have seen with sorrow, the transportation of the people to the regions of Assyria. So Jeremiah has come to realize the day of Jerusalem's safety is past. Nebuchadnezzar has assembled his armies. He's surely come here to destroy the city and Jerusalem will be destroyed. The people will be transported, many of them, away to the lands of Babylon. They'll never see the land of promise again. And Jeremiah is the man of sorrows because he can see ever so plainly these things are about to occur. He knows then from the depths of his own heart these feelings of grief and sorrow. And he's saying, why, the Lord is going to restore Ephraim. The Lord's going to restore those who belong to the northern kingdom and bring them back to himself. He will do the same for those who belong to the regions of Judah. And all Israel at last will be reconciled to our God. There are so many things in Hosea. It's very difficult to crowd them all in uh, for the one meeting and, and I, I pray God today that this word will be a blessing and a help to you. Let us pray. O Lord, we thank thee for thy grace and mercy, for thy lo loving kindness. I did say in the days of Jeremiah, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. For loving kindness have I drawn thee. Draw us today, draw our hearts out after thee. Take thy word imprinted upon our hearts and we ask for a, a clearer understanding of thy word. We may with more conviction receive that word and to know always the Lord will do exactly as he says. Take the word today. Magnify it in our lives as well as in our heart. And grant that there will be a real blessing in the word of God, even for us at this time. In Jesus' name, amen.
We do want to thank the Lord's servant very sincerely for ministering the word of God and we pray the Lord will bless his truth to us as we have heard it and that it will indeed linger with us, it will be laid up in our heart and that we'll refer to it uh, in coming days, that it might go with us. The word of God does indeed need to sink down into our ears as the Saviour said to those who were listening to him and may that indeed be the case as a result of hearing the word of God this evening. So we do thank the Lord's servant. We're going to close in prayer now and commit our way on to the Lord. Our Heavenly Father, we thank thee for the opportunity afforded to us of giving ourselves to the hearing of the word of God. And we pray that thou will bless thy truth as it has sounded forth. We thank thee for the faithful preaching of the word of God. And we pray that thou will make it a blessing to each and every heart. O Lord, may it indeed be laid up in our hearts. May it go with us. We think of Elijah on that occasion when he went in the strength of that heavenly food for 40 days and 40 nights. And we pray, Lord, the word of God will will be food for our soul and we will go in the strength of it many days and many nights. So grant thy blessing to us all now this evening as we come to a close. For we give thee thanks in our Saviour's worthy and precious name we pray. Amen. Amen.